evening. Welcome to the Wednesday evening chapel and the third of the uh, T.W. Willingham Preacher of the Year chapels. If you were in chapel last night, would you say amen? amen. Uh, it was worth the trip. Amen? Yeah. Uh, even in the cold, it was worth the trip. Amen. amen. Now, I understand um, last night I messed up the first part of the first song. This morning I messed up one of the verses of the song. I'm two for two. Uh, I, I need you to help me. I, I think I've got it down, uh, but if I make a mistake, I'm just going home. You reign, and we'll shout it to the north and the south. You reign, we'll declare it to the east and to the west. With every step we take as we follow you, Thank you for the privilege of being your followers. Thank you for the privilege of being your servants. Thank you for the privilege of being your people, your children. We give you praise. We thank you for the witness of the preacher of the hour. And not only her words, but more important, her life. And the way that she allows you to speak through her in any number of settings, for any number of reasons, but all for your glory, we give you praise. We ask for two things. First, for the ability to hear what it is that you have for us to hear this evening. And then second, the grace to respond to what we hear. For your sake and for the sake of the kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. I won't take the time to introduce Dr. Gunter to you this evening. Uh, you, are, you have already come to know and love her. And we await, Dr. Gunter, your word to us. Thank you for the privilege to be with you for these services. I think you know by now. If you don't, I want to tell you again that I am a cheerleader for Nazarene Bible College. I appreciate the ministry of this educational institution. I appreciate your president, your faculty, your staff, and you students. And I commend you on your choice of Nazarene Bible College. Dr. T.W. Willingham, what an outstanding preacher and thinker. One of our visits to the uh, assisted living place. I mentioned that this morning. Uh, my husband and I often visited Dr. Willingham when, when he made his uh, dwelling place the assisted living area. Now, on one occasion we were there, my husband turned to Dr. Willingham and said, Dr. Willingham, usually when Nana and I are here, we pray for you. But before we leave today, we'd like for you to pray for us. And this is what he prayed. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Then he went on to say, Lord, we do not serve you for what we can get. We serve you for what we can give you. Tremendous prayer, isn't it? I checked with Dr. Sanders today to see if um, 
you have here in your library, I think it's 24 tapes of sermons that Dr. Willingham preached, and they're, they're in two tape books. Um, I have them myself. I've had them for years, and I, have, uh, I don't think you have them, I understand. But I'm, I'm going to find those for you, and if I can't find them, I'll make copies of the ones I have because uh, you can check them out, right, from the library. Powerful preaching, his own preaching. Most of this was in camp meetings, and uh, you will be enriched by hearing these uh, more than 20 sermons by Dr. Willingham himself. Uh, let's keep his legacy alive for the man, again, I want to say, is one of the greatest preachers of all times in the Church of the Nazarene. In the fourth chapter of John, we find the story. Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. He came to a well near the small town of Sychar, a well that Jacob had given to Joseph, one of his sons. The story tells us that Jesus was tired. Does that make you feel good? <laughs> Jesus was tired. You relate to that, don't you? So he found a place to sit down near the well. The disciples went into the little town to find some food, and on the way there they passed a woman, an ordinary woman. In fact, she was so ordinary, the disciples didn't even notice her when they were walking uh, to town. The woman, after a while, arrived at the well at an unusual time of the day. But in her visit to the well, she found more than natural water. She found the living water. Do you remember when you found the living water? Jesus carries on a conversation with this woman. In fact, it's the longest recorded conversation that Jesus had with any individual. And she ends up believing that Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples walk up on the end of this conversation and they see Jesus talking to a woman. Now you know this was not acceptable in that day, but they didn't question Jesus. But our Lord used this event to teach the disciples a lesson. And I think it's the same lesson that he wants to teach you and me from this scripture tonight. We are to be harvest workers, and the time to go to the harvest is now. We, every one of us, we are to be harvest workers, and the time to go to the harvest is now. There's an interesting dimension to this story. Jesus was illustrating the very point that he was teaching the disciples, for he had just picked some fruit. He knew that the harvest was coming to the disciples. He knew that the town was coming out to be exposed to Christ, and he wanted the disciples to be ready to reap the harvest. They hadn't sown it, but they were going to get in on the harvest. And let's read what Jesus says. I just want to read verses 28 to 30. The woman then left her water pot, 
went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him, came to Christ. The question, if Jesus sent a town your way, would you be ready? In reality, he has sent a town your way today. For those of you who are not out there in a pastoral assignment in some area of ministry, wherever you land, God will send that town your way. Are you going to be ready? Ready for the town that God sends your way. In fact, God has not only sent a town your way, he has sent a state your way. We have a responsibility. God has sent a country our way. In fact, God has sent the whole world our way. For he's called us all to be global Christians. Are we ready? Focus on the church. If you'd like, the local church. It isn't there by accident. Our corporate church is, is not here by accident. It's here by God's design. And God has a purpose. And in every local church where we minister, we must discover that purpose and go for it. What will it take? What must we do to harvest the town, the community that God has sent our way? First of all, we must focus on the right priority. Look in verse 27. They marvel that Jesus talked with a woman. Jesus focused on the right priority. We must focus on the biblical priorities for the church. Worship, evangelism, discipleship, and service. And it's obvious here in this story that the priority is evangelism. We also notice readily that Jesus did not let the status quo keep him from fulfilling his priority of evangelizing the lost. Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman, a rejected woman. This was against the status quo. For in that day, Jews did not associate with Samaritans and men didn't talk in public with women. Yet Jesus focused on his priority which was to seek and save those who are lost. I'll tell you folks what we must do in the church, in the ministry, in God's ministry for us. We must ever stay focused on the priority that God has for us. That overall priority is to reach people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. For he has come to seek and save those who are lost. That's the mission of Jesus Christ. And his mission must become our mission. Reaching the lost is our priority. If we ever lose the value of a lost soul, we lose our way. D.L. Moody said, You can't get, get people saved until first you get them lost. Think about that. 
We realize that people are lost. We exist for one reason, to introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a prayer that I pray quite frequently, several times a week. Oh God, don't let me lose my sense of eternity. We can't just focus here. Our focus has to be on eternity. Are we harvesting the town that God has sent our way? Are you harvesting the community where God has planted you? The people with whom you work, live, your neighbors. That's the town, the community God has sent your way. I read the facts. There are 350,000 local congregations in America. It's reported last year 60,000 churches, 60,000 did not win a single convert to the Lord Jesus Christ. It means the pastor, the associates, the board members, the entire congregation not winning one soul to Jesus Christ. William Williman, Duke University chap chapel chaplain, Professor of the School of Religion says in the United States, less than 1% of the growth of the church each year is by conversion. I read the story, and it's a little bit humorous, about a lady with a tour group visiting Westminster Abbey in London. And after they'd seen this facility and all of its beauty and its structure, the tour guide had explained some of the details to them. He said, are there any questions? This lady kind of blurted out, does anybody get saved here? The whole group laughed, like you did. <laughs> and she said, well, it is a church, isn't it? Oh, we must ever ask. We must ever ask in our churches. Is anybody getting saved here? Anybody coming to know Jesus Christ here in this church? This is our business. This is our priority. Whatever it takes. Whatever we need to do. We cannot and we must not stop now. We have to keep on. We have to hold fast to foundations. But keep changing that which does not work. And may we trust God for grace and wisdom to change that which does not work. We must be willing to change in order to clearly focus on our priority. Now, I'm not telling you anything new when I tell you we live. We're in transition. The intensity of change is strong. I read somewhere not long ago that what used to take a generation to happen now happens every five years. Well, that's hard on a lot of us, isn't it? <laughs> oh, this intensity of change. Hey, it's not an El Nino. It's not short-lived. We're talking about the big C. Big change. I'll tell you something else. Growth means change. I'd like to help our humor a little bit. It's all right to be a little humorous, isn't it, to get our point across? You've heard the question, how many Nazarenes does it take to change a light bulb? Somebody said it just takes one to change it and three to reminisce about how good the old light bulb was. <laughs> oh, I can, I can just hear them. Boy, the old light bulb was so faithful, and, and I, I like the shape of the old light bulb. 
My grandma bought it. My grandpa put it in. <laughs> and let's build a showcase and display the old bub so we'll never forsake the old bub. Now, there's a lot of good in our heritage that needs to be preserved. And we don't take down the fence until we know why the fence was put up. A lot of things we've been doing right, we need to keep on doing. But we need to be daring enough under God to attempt the new when the old methods don't work anymore. I think most of us are Nazarenes. It doesn't matter. I think it would probably apply to your church as well. But the church of the Nazarene was birthed as a church of change. I remember my parents talk about when they, that was uh, before I was around, of how they found the church of the Nazarene. And my mother's family, they were what we would call blue-blooded Southerners, kind of a sophisticated, aristocratic Southerners. They said, surely you aren't going to that church. Do you know what that church is like? Those people get so excited. They're holy rollers. I mean, those people run up and down the aisles. And they just get so expressive when they're singing and they talk back to the preacher when the preacher's preaching. And when they pray, they all pray. You can't even tell who's leading. They all pray. You surely aren't going to a church like that. Let me tell you, it was a church of change for them. It was birth as a church of change. And we have to use wisdom, of course. When we start changing, let me just kind of do this as a sideline. When you begin to initiate change, and you will, start with the non-negotiables, those things that are the core of the church that we don't change, and make that real, real clear to people. Change can be destructive, but in the hands of God, it can be transforming. The greatest risk you'll ever take is to decide to change nothing and to not change yourself in any way. The reformer Martin Luther not only initiated a reformation in creed, but did you know he initiated a reformation in music? Oh, he was way out of the edge. He wanted congregational singing. Imagine that. And there were not hymns to sing. No wonder Martin Luther uh, uh, wrote 40 hymns. You know, when we stand before Jesus, He's not going to ask us, did you sing from overhead screens or did you sing from hymnals? <laughs> He's not going to ask you if you sang contemporary praise courses or 19th century classics. But I'll tell you what he is going to ask us. Did you declare my glory to all the nations of the world? He's going to ask us that. Every one of us, he's going to ask the church that. Did you? Here's the final exam. I mentioned this to the ladies yesterday in the meeting. Well, Jesus already told us what's on the final exam. Listen up, professors. Here, Jesus said, this is what's on the final exam. Did you feed the hungry? Did you clothe the naked? Did you visit those in prison? Did you care for the dying? In other words, did you carry out my mission to seek those who are in need and share the good news of the gospel with them? We must keep the main thing, the main thing, which is to throw lifelines of hope and peace to people who are trampled and overcome by sin and despair. 
You know, our God is an incredible God. I don't believe God created everything, folded his arms and said nothing will ever change as long as I'm God. Now for sure, God never changes in his holiness, in his redemptive love. God does not change in his nature. That is rock solid. That is eternal. And the church must never change in its holy nature, in its biblical holiness message, and in its unconditional love for people. The church must never change in those areas. But that doesn't mean that we are static in our relationships, in our responses, and in our methods to reach out and evangelize the world, which is our priority. We must be willing to innovate methods that are consistent with the holiness message and with God's mission. Some of the methods that reach some of us will not reach the generations to come. And God will give us wisdom on that. But I'll tell you folks, it, we won't reach people. Really reaching for Jesus through glitzy performances, through slick packaging, through cute one-liners, through sophisticated sanctuaries. It's we're going to reach people when we are motivated by the lostness of humankind. We must ever remember that there is no other way except Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We cannot buy into pluralism that there are many ways to God. When we do, that leads us down the road to paganism, legalism, and fundamentalism. God's way is grace and mercy, holiness and purity and perfect love. Don't ever Calvinize Wesleyan holiness doctrine. Well, I could get excited about that. <laughs> but I feel it deep in my soul tonight. The second priority, the second thing to harvest the town, we must develop the right perspective. Verse 35, Jesus said, see the fields. Look at the fields. Open your eyes. Look past all that's distracting you. You know, some good things can distract us. You know, some of the things that are distracting us in the church, Jim Simula calls them the ABCs. Attendance, buildings, and cash. We stop there. Don't let that, don't stop there. Don't let that be distractions. That's not what God's called us to do. We're to look past all the ABCs and look for lost souls. Where's the harvest? Are we bringing in the harvest? That's the real mission that God's given us. Look here means to perceive. Get the right perspective on it. And friends, there's a mission field all about us. We live in a mission field. The unchurched, think of the millions of unchurched Protestants and Catholics out there. There are more Buddhists in America than Episcopalians. There are 20 Hindu temples in the city of Chicago. There are more Muslims in America than Presbyterians, Lutherans, and Episcopalians combined. Some people would say, oh, there isn't a harvest field here. Oh, yes, there is a harvest field. Gallup poll tells us eight in ten Americans today say they want to grow spiritually. Eight in ten. Now, I know there's different definitions of spiritually there. 
but that is an increase of 24% to the same question four years ago. And that doesn't mean people are spiritually informed, but it does tell us today, I believe, it's an indicator people are spiritually sensitive. People are spiritually sensitive today. Dare to go out and tell them about Jesus. Also see that God wants us in the field, not in the house around the big table all the time. Oh, it's fun to be around the big table with our brothers and sisters, isn't it? But friends, the church is not the field. The church is the force. See that we are capable of harvesting souls. In verse 39, look at this verse. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. She went to evangelize. She didn't have any training. She hadn't studied the Roman method of evangelism, the Alpha Plan, the evangel explosion evangelism. You say you're against training? Absolutely not. That ought to enhance our witness. But it does not take the place of us telling our own story of how God has redeemed us. She was uneducated. She was poor. She was a social outcast. But she left her water pots and ran to tell the people what Jesus Christ had done for her. Also see that the Holy Spirit has prepared the way for us. In verse 38, Jesus said, I sent you to reap. Oh, he sends us. He sends us. The Holy Spirit is at work in the affairs and hearts of people to whom he sends us. The prevenient grace of God prepares hearts for response. Also see that there is fulfillment in participating in the harvest. There was for Jesus, verse 34. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And there is also fulfillment for the workers in verse 36. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. There is fulfillment when you go out and bring in God's harvest. And last of all, to harvest the town that God has sent. We must develop the right patterns. First of all, we must work passionately. In other words, we have to be passion-driven. Passion, the intensity of the heart that drives your life. Is that, what is your passion? Do you have a passion for people who do not know Jesus? Would you say the woman at the well had passion? <laughs> Absolutely. When people first come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They are so filled with passion. They get up from the altar and the first thing they do, they go to their family. They begin to testify and bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they go to their friends. Friends, let's don't ever lose that passion that we want to share Jesus with other people, to tell the story of God's love and grace. Our failure in winning people to Jesus is not due to the lack of talent. It is due to the lack of passionate effort. We must be passionate. Then we also must work prayerfully. We need to be prayer intercessors who have felt the heart of God, who have experienced 
the power of the cross. Why? Because prayer releases the power of God. We cannot stand and witness for God until first we bow and bathe our souls in His presence. The psalmist says, He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with Him. John Wesley says, God does nothing but an answer to prayer, and He does everything with it. It takes prayer to do God's mission to bring in the harvest. And then we must work persistently. The harvest fields are ripe continually and we stay with it. We don't quit. We don't give up. We stay with it continually. We commit to the mission. We don't retreat to a maintenance operation. But we 